0: Good morning, church. Turn to someone near you, say hello. Just uh, you know, you can wave if you're if you're concerned, or if it's your spouse, you can kiss them. Don't kiss someone who's not your spouse. So very quiet in all of this. I remember uh, when we were over in the other building where sound bounced around a lot. When you would say hello to each other, I could hear half of the hellos personally. Um, Today we're going to be in John chapter 6, so uh, if you're going to be finding that while you're finding it, John chapter 6, if you're looking for the book of John, John's in the New Testament. In my Bible, it's about like that. So go about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, you'll find the book of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you go on beyond that, you're going to find yourself in Acts or Romans or Corinthians. Back up a little bit. John chapter 6. It's a long chapter. It's over 60 verses, but we're not going to read them all. I promise. Just a few that are going to make, a, I hope, a significant story today. Grace Point has had this mission statement for a long time. Meeting people where they are and helping them grow in Christ. That's been the mission statement of Grace Point Church. If you didn't know that, that is now something you need to memorize. Meeting people where they are, helping them grow in Christ. Meeting people where they are means there's there's no threshold you have to climb up to get into church. Right? There's no wall you have to climb over. There's no there's no uh, Mickey's hand. We used to have hold up Mickey's hand. It's in my office back again, retrieved. Um, we used to hold up Mickey's hand. How many of you are old enough to remember Mickey's hand to get on a ride at Disneyland? Old people. Mickey used to stand there and hold up his hand. And if you weren't tall enough to measure up to Mickey's hand, you couldn't get on the ride. And I think Disney finally said, we don't want our emblem of smiling and joy to be the reason a little kid doesn't get on the ride. Because they all think Mickey's mean now. They got rid of Mickey, so now they just have a a line there you have to measure up to. But it used to be Mickey's hand. There's no Mickey's hand. There's no measuring up to get on the ride. Okay? Meeting people where they are. It's what God does. It's what God does. I was sitting in a church because I came, to because the girls that I met in Pathfinders were also in church. That's why I went. I didn't have another reason. And God said, okay, we will take you there. That's as much as you're gonna give me. I'll take what you give me. I was at least showing up. And so I got to listen to preachers. I got to listen. We had a good preacher. He talked to me a lot. I didn't even realize he was aiming at me. He was just talking to all those other people. I just happened to be listening in. And slowly the Lord started using the time that I was allotting him, meeting me where I was in the time frame I was allotting so that he might move me closer to Jesus. See, that's the goal. Meet people where they are and help them grow in Christ. In all the manners possible to help a person find a way to Christ. This is why I talk to you about discipleship classes being significant. Because when you get to go into some small group here in the church, whether they're studying a particular book of the Bible, whether they're studying some particular book, whatever it is that they're doing, whether you're a little kid or, or, a, or a grandparent, being in the presence of other people who believe what you believe, who support what you support spiritually and who are asking the same questions you're asking is really helpful because you know you're not alone in all of this. So meeting people where they are and helping them grow in Christ, it's what church is about, it's what Sabbath school is about, it's what everything we do is about. If there's not a disciple at the end of the production line of church, church is not functioning. So we're all hoping that we will be moving towards closer walk with Jesus and discipleship as we follow. Meeting people where they are, helping them grow in Christ. So as we talk about this today, I want you to catch that in meeting people where they are and helping them grow in Christ, it's meeting, it's not leaving. Say it with me. Meeting, not leaving. Meeting, not leaving meeting not leaving it's meeting a person where they are not leaving them there not abandoning them where you found them it's a meeting people and helping them grow in Christ and in John chapter 6 that's kind of what we're going to be looking at it's going to it's a it's a chapter that a lot of people are fami- familiar with because of the feeding of the 5000 have you heard of the feeding of the 5000 good okay John chapter 6 verse 2 the great multitude followed him because they saw what The signs. Why were they coming to find Jesus? They had seen the cool miracles. They had seen the signs. They had seen the signs which he had performed on those, on those who were distressed or who were diseased. So Jesus had gone and done all these amazing things. So people said, hey, this is cool. Let's go see the show. The circus has come to town. And they went to go see what this guy was doing. So I want you to understand these people did not come to be converted. Right? They did not come so that God might change their lives. They came because there was something interesting going on. Something happening in their community that they wanted to check out. They came because Jesus had, doing, had been doing some amazing things. I had to go to Mark here. We're stepping out of John for a second. I had to go to Mark because Mark mentions this part of it. It's in all four Gospels, by the way. If you want to read the whole story today, read read it in all four Gospels because there's bits and pieces here that each of them tell that aren't in all of them. Jesus was moved with compassion for them. They came to see the show and Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. They just wandering around. They didn't have any direction. There was nobody protecting them. They didn't have any help or any guidance. So Jesus met them where they were. They came for the show. And his heart is breaking because they don't know where to go. They have, they have seen the Messiah and they don't recognize him. He is doing miraculous things. And they're not even aware that that's cool. They're not even aware that that is predicted by the prophets. They just show up. And Jesus has compassion on them because they're just wanderers. They don't have a shepherd to protect them or to lead them. And he began to teach them many things. John doesn't fill this piece in, but he talks to them until it starts to get toward evening. And they've used up the lunch they brought, and there's just nothing left. It's getting toward the end of the day, and the disciples start to worry that these people are going to need something to eat. And so the disciples say to Jesus, there are a lot of people here. Um, we better send them out into the villages to get something to eat. It's getting late. It's getting around supper time. Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. To which the disciples said, how? What do you mean we feed them? We don't even, we don't have enough money to feed them. We don't have the opportunity to feed them. We have nothing. And then there is this kid, however. This is what happens when you hang out with Jesus you start to recognize that you may not have all the resources, but you have Jesus. So little bitty resources may be enough for what could be 15,000 people. It's 5,000 men plus women and children. It's easily 10,000 people. Okay, It's a small town. And he says, but there is a lad here, I like the word lad, who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Note that the disciples, don't even, and they don't even say two fish. We just go five loaves and two fishes. No, the disciples say, there's, there's like five barley loaves and a couple of minnows. That's all we have. Five barley loaves and two small fish. What are they among so many? You guys know the story? You know what happens next, right? Jesus says to the disciples, "Wow, tell them all to sit down kind of kind of organize them in groups, set them down in groups out there. There's a lot of grass, just spread them all out. So 10,000 it looks like Woodstock out there. Okay? And uh, why did they come again? To see the show. Jesus has preached to them and taught them a whole bunch of things. They're about to see some show. Jesus takes this this little boy's lunch. Praise God for the little boy who was willing to give up his lunch, takes this little boy's lunch. He blesses it. Passes it to the disciples. How many disciples should five loaves and two fish get through? At the most, two, right? A fish for you, a fish for you, and here's some loaves, right? He passes it to the 12 disciples, and the disciples start going out and passing it out. Do you think the disciples could carry enough food to feed these 5,000 without coming back to Jesus for an armload, and an armload, and an armload, and an armload. It appears that the miracle goes, Jesus to the disciples, and as the disciples start passing it out, it continues to multiply in their baskets, in their hands as well. How cool would that have been to take part in? First, He passes you a whole load of loaves and fishes. You're holding your armloads for, and you're going to the first group of 50 people and said, okay, this will cover a few of you. And you start passing food out, and everybody takes what they want. And you're thinking, buddy, really? Three loaves and four fish yourself? And he goes on, he keeps going. He gets these teenagers, and he's just like this. And, he, and, and the food is still coming, and still coming, and still coming, and still coming. And the miracle is multiplying through Jesus into the disciples and out to the crowd. Can you imagine how that's going? First group of people, everybody thinks we're not getting anything. We're in the back. You ever been at one of those those things where they, they, they're going to let you go by table? Right? You're at a wedding. You're at some event. And they're going to let you go by table. And you can see the food. And you're like, I'm not eating today. I'm like table number 35. I can see how much food there is. I'm going home to eat. I'm going to a restaurant after this because there's no way I'm going to get any food. By the time they get to me. That's how it is on this day. He got this little boy's line. So then it starts passing, passing. There's 12 disciples. They're passing it out. If you're in the back, you're like, no way. There's no way. We sh- Mabel, we should just leave. There's no food. There's not going to be any food. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. He's working his way through the crowd. And the disciples keep moving through the crowd. One after another after another. Group gets all they want. Next group gets all they want. The disciples start going down the road and say, anybody need any more? Anybody need any more? I have plenty. Everybody eats until they are full. They get all that they wanted. The disciples distributed and to those sitting down and they got all that they wanted. You know what abundance is? Abundance is not what you need. Abundance is what you wanted. Right, If there were not abundance in America, no one would ever eat ice cream because you don't need ice cream. I only think I need ice cream. I want ice cream. There's no question about that. Everyone got more than what they needed out of this little boy's lunch. They got what they wanted. Catch the abundance of Jesus in this miracle. Maybe 10,000 people. And everybody gets all they wanted, including every 16-year-old in the crowd. All got what they wanted. Those men had seen what Jesus was doing. And they said to themselves, this is truly the prophet. Now, you have to have a little bit of of Old Testament background to get this. This is truly the prophet. The prophet was the statement that was made when they thought about Moses. Because Moses had said, there will come a prophet like me. They see what this guy is doing and they're going, this is the guy. This is clearly the guy Moses was talking about. This is the prophet he was speaking of. This is our man. In other words, this is the Messiah. No question about it. He just said, what, 10,000, 12,000 of us with a little boy's lunch? I say that qualifies you to be the Messiah. And so they're talking about this among themselves. The louder ones, the rowdier ones are like, yeah, yeah, let's do this, let's do this. And so they decide that they're going to make Jesus king by force. Now, I wonder how much the disciples got involved in this. I wonder how much the disciples were getting, you know, questions from. Them. Why isn't he? Why isn't he like going to Jerusalem, taking over? Why isn't he already throwing the Romans out? I mean, God, he's healing people, he's helping people, he's feeding. You don't need anything but him to have an army that kicks the Romans out of here. And I wonder how many times the disciples going, mean, Yeah, we don't know why he's not doing it either. We don't know what's going. On. Maybe he's just shy. I don't know. Because they don't seem to understand either. And yet Jesus keeps them. Because understanding isn't a qualification for being a follower of Jesus. Following is a qualification for being a follower of Jesus. Believing is a qualification for being a follower of Jesus. Not understanding. If understanding was required, none of us would get to go. Because it's little bitty brain, right? Great big God. This is how much brain you have. Hold your hands up. That's what's in your head. I have big hands. You people with little hands, sorry. This is how much brain. Omnipresent God. Omniscient God. There's no way we're going to understand. There's no way. The day you understand God, you get to be God, so nobody even wants you to understand. So Jesus, again, the other disciples fill this in, puts the disciples in the boat and says, go away. And then he leaves. He goes up on a mountain to pray. I've wondered about this prayer. Wouldn't it be a real temptation to just do this? You don't have to face the cross if you just do it. Go ahead, go to Jerusalem, seize the throne, kick out the Romans. You've got all the authority in heaven and earth to do it. There's a day here when he could have said, no, 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 cross thing, I don't want to do that. The temptation in this moment is to accept this rule, to become the ruler they expect. I don't think you should doubt that it was a temptation. So he leaves, the disciples leave, Do you know what happens to the 5,000 after this? Or 10,000? you know what they do? Do you remember the story? That's what John 6 is about the rest of the chapter. John is looking back on the story. Don't forget that John is the last one writing. Okay? He's writing the last gospel. So Matthew's been written. Mark's been written. Luke has been written. John has more to add to the story. And so if you look at John 6, he adds a bunch more to the story that we don't get from the other disciples. He skips, by the way, Peter walking on the water. Because we're not sure if that's an embarrassment to Peter or a, or a, a, a triumph for Peter. Because remember, he doesn't stay on top of the water very long. A few steps, a look away, and pew, into the water he goes. And if it wasn't for Jesus, that's where he would The Disciples are out in the boat. They're rowing across the water. They are making their way to the other shore to where Jesus had sent them, and they're struggling because the wind is blowing against them. If you've ever tried to row a boat against the wind, you understand. This is apparently a pretty good gale, a pretty stiff wind, and they're not making any progress. They row well into the fourth watch of the night. So think about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're still rowing on a trip that should have taken them a couple hours. They're still struggling. By now, they've blown way off course for sure. By now, the boat is probably soaking from all the water that's flowing in. They're probably not only rowing, but bailing, and they're having questions about their survival by now. But one of the things we have to remember is that Jesus doesn't forget his disciples when they're in the boat. God doesn't forget you when it gets hard. When you're rowing against the wind, when you're questioning whether you're going to survive, God is not just suddenly forgetting that you're there. There's some question as to whether Jesus went up on the mountain and part of what he was doing was keeping an eye on what was going on in the boat. You remember the story? They get about four, three or four miles out there and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Stop for just a second. Do you realize Jesus has walked three or four miles on the water? On the water. So, you people should be a lot, have a lot more fun with this. I don't understand why this isn't cool to you because I'm just imagining, here's Jesus, you know, hands in the pockets of his tunic. Walking into the wind, out across the lake. Wind's blowing, he's enjoying the night. Water's splashing on him in his face. He's above it all. He just keeps on trucking. Walking three or four miles. How long does it take you to walk three or four miles? (laughs) Somebody said a year. (laughs) (laughs) But think about it. At a good pace, a good pace, a 15 minute pace, a mile is about like this. Right? He's probably, well, maybe he's in a hurry because these guys are freaked out. So he's walking out there for 45 minutes or an hour. You know, Father, this is pretty cool. You know, I should. we should get these guys in on this if they want. He arrives at the boat. They're all freaked out. It's the middle of the night. They see this person walking on the water. And you all sit there like you wouldn't be freaked out. All of us would be freaked out. Because he's walking on top of the water in the middle of the stinking lake. There's no bridge. There's no dinghy. There's no even water walking shoes. He just strolled out there. They freak out. Peter wants out. Peter says, let me try. Peter comes out. He tries. Boom. He goes in the water because he gets distracted. Probably, if I were doing it, because he looked back to see what everybody else thought. I'm on the water. You're still in the boat. And down he went because the wind and the waves and all that stuff got between him and Jesus. And isn't that the way it happens? All the stuff I'm worried about gets between me and Jesus. And I think I'm out there on my own. Down I go. Into discouragement, into depression, into believing that I can't do it and God won't help me. And he cries out for help. And I love the next phrase. when It's not here in John. But the next phrase is, And immediately, and immediately, Jesus took him by the hand. He's walking to Jesus, Remember? So they're not standing next to each other. He's on his way to Jesus. And there's enough separation that the wind and the waves, things can get between them and he can lose track of where Jesus is. But when he calls out by the miraculous hand of only God, Jesus is right there. Immediately. Puts him back in the boat. They arrive on the opposite shore. All of this, unbeknownst to the people who had the great dinner of fish and bread last night when the people saw that jesus was not on the shore anymore they knew the disciples left in the boat but jesus isn't here either they also got into boats and came to capernaum what are they doing seeking jesus does jesus ever say get away from me kid you're bothering me does he no. They came seeking Jesus. Jesus' door is always open. They come to Capernaum to find Jesus. They get to Jesus, and Jesus begins to talk with them. <clears throat> he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, that was, what was, that was yesterday's story, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. What's the implication? You didn't come for me. You came for food. You came to get another bite to eat. You come to see if I, what trick I'll do for you today. You didn't come to me because the miraculous signs are now telling you something. You came to me because you wanted to have another snack. Do not labor for food that does what? Perishes. Think about that for a second. Everything we labor for perishes. Everything we labor for perishes. Even if we labor for a longer life, eventually perishes. Unless you're Enoch or Elijah, if you're qualifying for that, I want to talk to you about how that's working. Everything we work for in life perishes. They've just gotten in boats, left where they were, their homes, the vicinity of where they live, come across the water to Capernaum because that's where Jesus tends to hang out. They... Come and they finally find him. They are seeking out Jesus. They work their way through the streets. Capernaum is not a big place. These streets are not big streets. It's a narrow, winding little place. And you when you go to Israel, stand in Capernaum, and imagine 5,000 people seeking Jesus in Capernaum. They find him. He's at the, at, at the uh, synagogue. I almost said church. He's at the synagogue preaching. Imagine how that goes. I've been in that synagogue. It's my, it might be as big. Those of you who have been there, what do you think? About this big? About the size of this group? Maybe could fit in there? 5,000 people show up. It's a mess at that place. But there they are. Jesus must have gone out to speak to them. And there must have been some movement of that crowd so they could hear him. They probably went out to the shorts just from here to the other building to the shore. So they it probably went down to the shore where he could talk to them. But they, he he says to them, "Hey, I'm glad you're here. But you just came from a food. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here. But I'm not leaving you where I found you. Meeting people where they are. But helping them grow, moving them along. Do you ever have God confront you about something that makes you mad?" You ever been reading or studying or praying and kind of God irritates you? He confronts you on something? I don't think that these people were like, oh yeah, that's why we came, sorry. I bet it kind of ticked them off that he confronted them. Because he's confronting them in front of everyone. Everyone's hearing what's being said. You guys just came for another, another meal. Don't labor for food that perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you. You're here. I want you here. Don't keep trying to get goods. Don't keep trying to get stuff. No, 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 no. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I will give you stuff that will not perish. I will give you stuff that will not go away away. At this point, I want to see 5,000 backflips. I'm in. Let's do that. Doesn't seem to have happened. Doesn't seem to have happened. They said to him, what do we have to do for that? What, what do we have to do to get what you, you're, what you 're offering here you 're saying you can give us food that doesn 't perish you can give us this eternal stuff you can give us everlasting stuff. We get this this is miraculous heaven kind of talk talk we 're okay with that. What works do we have to do to do the works of God? How do we get this because they don 't understand that in god 's economy you can 't work for it not that you don 't have to work for it you can 't you 're not that good. remember. All of your righteousness stacked up together is a bloody bandage. That's my best day. And all of my best days. It's like a bloody bloody bandage. It just doesn't cut it. Because I'm so broken inside that I don't even have pure motives for the good things I do. Praise God for His grace. That He meets me where I am. And as I am, because as I am is part of where I am, and He helps me grow, and He moves me home. He keeps He keeps talking to me. Even now, I'm years, I'm decades down my walk with Jesus, and He's still confronting me on stuff. That happened to you, or am I the only one? He, I mean, decades into following Jesus, and He's still saying, "Wait, time out, buddy. Wait, ho, ho, ho. Wrong reason." wrong direction why are you working for things that are perishing why are you doing this for something that you can't keep you can't hold on to this stuff why are you sweating it so bad what do we do how do we get this this sounds really cool how do we get it how do we manage to get something like that jesus answered and said to them this is the work of god This is what you have to do. You have to believe in Him who He sent. This is the work. It sounds easy. How many of you have had your your faith tested by some atheistic scientists lately? They're out there all the time hammering away at faith how many of you've had your faith tested by some hard thing in your life you came today you walked in today it's been a tough morning already it's been a tough day it's been a tough week it's been a tough month it's been a tough year and you brought that with you today saying man my faith's a little shaky i don't know i don't know how this works believe in him Believe in Jesus. Believe in Him whom God has sent. What is the work of God? Believe in Him whom God has sent. You know, this is the answer every time. This is the answer every single time. What am I supposed to do? Believe. What am I supposed to do? Believe. What are we supposed to do? Believe. Look, you came because of the signs yesterday. You had a great meal yesterday. It was all cool yesterday. You're ready to make me king. Do you believe that I am the Messiah? Do you, do you believe that God sent me, that I'm not doing this on my own? Well, 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 Moses, Moses made bread for our family that they ate for 40 years. You gave us one lunch and you want us to follow you? That's what they say. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the one who brought you manna in the wilderness. I came from the Father. And you want to know how you get in on this? Me. Me. Then he says the unthinkable. I mean, if I read it, I read it today and it still, it's still kind of blows my mind. You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And we get real literal with that, and it starts getting real sketchy. You're like, what in the world is that about? Maybe he's talking about communion. Well, it doesn't appear to be. I mean, John does have communion in the past. He does know about that. John might be throwing that as sort of a reference. But what he's saying is, I will be the entire sacrifice necessary for you. Take that in. I will give my life for you, my body broken for you, my blood spilled for you. That's where the communion phrases are. Take me in. Take it all in. That the sacrifice made on the cross, the crucifixion coming, not too distant future from here. It's for you. Take it in as your own. Take it as your own. Believe it and take it in. That the sacrifice, the blood spilled is yours. The body killed is yours. The resurrection is also yours. When Jesus says, you have to eat my body and flesh and drink my blood, I can't handle it. And I don't think they took it literally. It's too far out for any kind of literal interpretation, I think. But they knew that it meant full and complete surrender and inclusion of Jesus. He said he had come down from the Father. You have to buy that. Listen, all of you... 10,000 people who got yourself here today if you want in you have to believe that I came down from the Father you have to understand that the supply provided for you yesterday is the supply I want to give you eternally you will not have to worry I will be there for you you got to take that entirely you got to accept that completely you have to take it in as if it became part of you physically altered your physiology that's how much you need to take this in the Bible says that those people walked off those people who had put in all that effort walked away because of what Jesus was teaching they walked away And the numbers dwindled down to the 12. Nobody from from the church service hung around. Nobody who had come for lunch hung around. Everybody left. Everybody dispersed. Went to wherever they were before. And Jesus turns to the disciples. He says, do you want to leave too? And Peter. Peter speaks up. And his first phrase is the most important. Where would we go? Peter understands there is nothing else. Peter understands who he's talking to. Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have come to believe That you are the Messiah sent here from God. Where would we go? Meeting people where they are. Helping them grow. You see, Jesus took all these people in. He said, yeah, you bet, I'll talk to you. I'll share with you. I will give you the course to eternity. I will give you the answer to the question everybody has. How might I be saved? And he does. He lays it out for them. I'm what you're looking for. I'm the one who came down from heaven. I'm the one who was feeding your, your family when, in the time of Moses. I'm the one who fed you yesterday. I'm the one who will keep you from having to chase after things that only perish for the rest of your life. And I will promise you eternity. And they go, "Wow, well, this is too much to take in today. See so, ya. Yeah. And Jesus goes from a blowing up kind of church growth moment to the original dirty dozen. In a matter of a few minutes. So why talk about this moment? Pretty, pretty tragic, really. Because all of us have walked away from Jesus. All of us have gotten an answer we didn't like and stepped away. We've said, okay, I can't go there with you, God. All of us have. Some of us do it for a lifetime, tragically. Some of us do it for a moment. But you know what's also still true? Even when I wander off, He meets me where I am. And He offers me the same offer He gave the day before. Come to me. Believe in me. Follow me. And I will take care of you of the outcomes you're worried about. You need not pursue anything in your life that's perishing anymore. Come to me and your eternity will be secure in my hand. Yoke yourself together with me and I will get you home. Same offer every day. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter how angry you are with God or how happy you are with God, same offer trust me, follow me, believe me, yoke yourself together with me and I will take care of it from there. So 15,000 or so people walked away from Jesus that day. Were they all lost? They were just pursued after that. They went from being present to being pursued. That's God. Let's pray. There is so much in the Word. But it is the same thing over and over. Thank you, because my brain's not very big, Lord. I pray for each person here and each person who hears this, this message. I pray that all of us might know that you are seeking us. That day after day, every time we open our eyes, every time it starts over, every time we find good things, every time we find hard things, that you are there. That you wish to be in us by the power of your Spirit, but you will be beside us if you can't be in us. Thank you. Thank you. I pray for the ones who are questioning, the ones who are having a hard moment. I pray for all of us because when you ask us to do the next thing, we struggle. We struggle to surrender place ourselves in your hands today. We want to trust you more. We want to be more like you tomorrow than we are today. And we know the only path to eternity is with you. You are the light of the world. You are the way into the Holy of Holies. You are the bread of life. Help us as we get our heads around what that means for us. In Jesus' name.